0: Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Professor Whitney, and you're listening to the Professor Whitney in the Village podcast. This is a show for non traditional families with everyday challenges. I'm your trap behaviorist. That's right, I'm a behavior specialist in the state of Virginia, and my goal is to meet people where they are and help them move forward so that we make progress together. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. All right, Village. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a wonderful conversation for you. I know you're going to enjoy it. So today I have the beautiful Miss Tamika Wingard on standby. She's going to talk to us as a former special educator. But as I say, once an educator, always an educator. But before I get started, I wanted to share a quote because this is a conversation that's really going to touch parents out there and i want you to know as special needs parents we don't have the power to make life fair but we do have the power to make life joyful and that's an anonymous quote and i know we hear things like special education when we're having these conversations but i think all education is special education that was actually what my exit paper was when i was working on my master's degree all education is special education So, without further ado, I'm bringing to you the wonderful, the beautiful, the magnificent Miss Tamika Wingard. Hi, thank you,
1: (laughs) Professor Whitney. Thank you so much for having me this morning.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. You know, I love bringing people to the village to give some information. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your mission, and all that good stuff. Absolutely. So uh, as you said, I'm Tamika Wingard,
1: and I consider myself to be a forever educator, um, although I'm not still in the public sector, I still am in experience in education. So right now, currently, I am a special education consultant with Wingard Consulting Services. Um, This is my second full year in business and business is booming because I serve a population that is less known, but very critical um, in our society. So I work with psychiatric residential treatment facilities uh, to support them with their compliance for special education. Um, And many families uh, that receive special education uh, may have children that suffer with mental disorders um, or have emotional needs that exceed what the public school setting will be able to offer. And when those students transition out of the public school sector, oftentimes it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, and, and it's so unfortunate because at the end of the day, just like every other child, when they turn 18, they're pretty much back into society. And so for me, um, I discovered this jewel of work, um, Just in um, my own readings and just having, you know, a network of folks still in um, special education here in North Carolina um, that led me to this. And the first thing I said is, how do they transition back? Because these are still school-age children. They still receive services. educational services, but it looks very, very different from a day-to-day classroom setting. Um, Because many of the children, they are, the age ranges from five to 18. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is very much so school age. So how do you help a a six or seven-year-old who, you know, is just starting life, um, that has a tremendous amount of trauma that they've lived through, um, be able to still understand how to be a child, but then it's coupled with uh, emotional disorders or schizophrenia. Um, still trying to figure out how to manage their own behaviors. Um, and if you think about regular students, as I say, I hate to say that, but you know, just children in general, you know, they have age-appropriate behaviors. But when you have that, children may not have coping skills yet at that age, and they're still emerging in how to be cooperative. So when you have children that have extensive behavioral issues, how do you mitigate that? How do you help the child? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So those children are not going to stay in facilities like that forever. They are eventually going to transition back into the public school system with therapeutic support, so what does that look like? Because they're that right there is a break in their formal education. Um, Absolutely. And so one of the, my mission is really to help um, on the school side <clears throat> with, you know, providing these uh, facilities with certified special education staff um, to help with the instructional and compliance support. I, I am a firm believer that with support, with training, um, comes success for our teachers and for our staff. Because it all starts with them, with the way they meet, meet the kids' needs. Uh, these are specialized facilities that have an, um, an abundance of support for the behavioral side. They have therapists, they have trained specialists um, that help to. Um, help the kids work through their issues, but where they lack the real support is that instructional piece. And that's often where the ball is dropped.
0: It's interesting that this is the kind of work that you focus on early in my career. I did some educational support at a residential treatment facility in Mm -hmm. South Carolina. And um, that was one of the things that I was in there for almost providing tutoring. So it was supporting what was already going on in the classroom mm-hmm. with the teachers in there. Uh, you know, they were in there providing the everyday education, the lessons and things of that nature. So from time to time I would sit in the classes, um, but it wasn't for the tutoring. I was initially brought in for tutoring, but of course I had started my training and behavior. Mm-hmm. So naturally I had a rapport with a few of the students and they would bring me in the classroom to help, you know, you manage some of the behaviors going on. So, how how do you support these educators, you know, in that space when it comes to behavior modification and behavior management while trying to educate? Because I know that is a big thing. I was a special ed teacher in Maryland specifically for children who had autism and. Uh, behavior challenges severe to the point that they cannot be served in a traditional classroom. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about a psychiatric residential treatment facility, that's not saying all children are always in psychosis. Right. Um, but you know the reality is it's there. So help parents understand, you know, and anybody that's listening understand how the education looks in these facilities coupled with behavior challenges. Absolutely. Um, so the first, first thing that I always
1: tell folks is that no matter what setting, um, your children are in, um, when children are in distress, um, it's going to look the same. They're not going to be productive. Um, so in this setting, we have children that come in. It's a very small modified setting, um, very similar to working with students with uh, serious emotional dis- uh, disabilities. Um, I started my teaching career uh, in the same setting. I was then called a behavioral, um, behavior, working with students with behavioral emotional dis- uh, disabilities. It was a um, self-contained class. Um so I worked with high schoolers um uh, that had you know been placed in these small group self-contained classes. Um so if parents have any idea or they have children that are currently uh being served and and to be honest right now things look very different from what self-contained is versus how students with serious emotional disabilities are being um are being uh met right now. So just to give an idea, uh, we have very small groups where they may consist of six children or less with uh, a two, uh, three to one ratio with staff. Um, and then they have uh, teachers that are in um, different cottages and they have different um subject matter that they work on, um, but they work on it in an individual basis. Some may use computers, some may have direct instruction. It may be a combination of both. Um, They have uh, computer um, programs that they use that's going to be more tailored towards the child's level where they are academically okay. um but as i said it's not like your traditional setting. so you have students that in addition to um, working with the teacher the lead teacher and staff that's there on standby um you have tutoring services as well where kids are pulled one-to-one to work with a tutor so that they're getting as much maximizing as much of that time with them as possible Um, but you have to also understand too in the state of north carolina um the school day when a child is placed in a facility like this, the majority of their learning now focuses on the behavior. Um, So the behavior modification piece goes on all day. You have some places where um, they have day treatments where the children are still in the home or they're in therapeutic group homes and still in a regular school setting. And they can go in for day treatment. Some of those uh, facilities also work in tandem with uh, the school system where they place those services in schools. But particularly the one I work with, these are residential where children live there. Um, and so you will have just a typical day where kids are, you know, laughing, enjoying, you know, class. And, at the flip of a switch, something will trigger them. And you may have a situation mm-hmm. where everybody's got to be cleared out the room and a, there's a team will do a rapid response. Um, and in cases have to, you restrain the child, because if there are uh, an endanger to themselves or to others, that's the first thing is safety. Um, right. And so, when you have a situation like this, because there's so much instability with the behaviors and with, you know, children, because it, it it changes, it varies from hour to hour some days. It just depends. Um, education can look very different. Um, it's very interrupted. So it's intermediate. You know, we have an on period. We may have an off period. Depending on what happens, um, there may be times where um, children cannot transition to the school setting that day. Uh, based on their behaviors right. so what i find is in these settings with the point i was trying to make is that in north carolina they only require that one special ed- one teacher be special education certified um, in those right. facilities and oftentimes those folks share many duties and it's very hard to get certified staff to even go and work in these facilities one because of pay um They're not going to pay the equivalent um, to service that a public school system would. So, you have a lot of, um, you know, disadvantages there. And then, you know, with the sheer behavioral needs, even though special education teachers are trained to help and mitigate behaviors, um, it's hard. You know, when you have a room full of children that have all of these, that have a great need, it's hard. And so, most people burn out within three years or less. So... Right. Having seen that, that was something that I wanted to see how I could work. I have a lot of folks that I um, still have relationships with that serve in these capacities and have have done it well. So my advantage point is being able to tap. Folks and bring them in to do supplemental services to support um, these facilities so that kids are still getting that high quality um, special education support, um, specifically for the instructional side, because in these facilities, the behaviors are already managed. Um, so that's the right. part that – that's the beauty of how I work. I go into facilities where the behavior is already being managed because that's a part of their service. I get to focus in on the instructional side, you know, and helping them to make sure that the goals are written appropriately, to make sure that as their team is working um, to meet those goals, how, how are they collecting the the – instructional data to help move the needle for these children. Um, And just being very transparent, you know, when you have a kid that may show up at school, you know, one day and, or may be at school only for 15 minutes, it's very sporadic. So I help them to Mm -hmm. design learning plans to really be able to say, okay, we know that um, this child has an attention span or a learning span is what we call it, a learning span of 15 to 20 minutes. Um, we know that this child is triggered because math is not their, their, uh, strength. Um, so how do we get these pieces in there? And it looks very different from child to child, but I love it because you get to explore different options and you are truly, um, customizing the instruction to the needs of a child.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's what it's all about here in Virginia. We're very person centered. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I started out with my behavior background and applied behavior analysis. And then when I came to Virginia, we added on the person-centered piece. And what I love about the piece here in Virginia is it merges the two. So we still use the principles of ABA, yeah. but add that person-centeredness to it. And it really gets down to the core of what matters to the person, you know, the center-focused person, what's important to them versus what's good to them, good for them, their mm-hmm. routines, looking at all of those things to kind of come up with something. So when you're in this setting, I know we're talking about behavior, and you can't help but talk about behavior when we're discussing a psychiatric residential treatment facility. But do the IEPs look different, is the IEP process different when a student is in those facilities versus if they're just being served in a school setting but still go home every day? Help parents understand that part. So the IEP pro- IEP process is a federally regulated process. So
1: it has to look the same. Um, what looks different is the implementation of services. Um, and so okay. the service time delivery will be different um, because these students are living on campus and they're receiving behavior so- support 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You have to write those the... Um, service delivery times to reflect that um, the educational time. Sometimes we can, if, you know, if we have a child that um, is mildly or able to really uh, stay with the course of school, we can write um, service delivery time for academics. As we try to do it as close to what they had in school, um, but always making parents aware that the, One thing that is impeding your child from being able to participate in the regular setting is the behavior. So that's literally where the focus goes, but we don't do away with academics because they're still students. So sometimes we have to adjust the time that is gonna be spent on uh, reading goals or um, math goals, but keeping in mind that it's only done for a very short amount of time. um, So that the, the number one priority is stabilization when children come in because right. they're, they, they're coming in because they're already in crisis. Um, so that is the mm-hmm. focus and getting them acclimated to a new schedule um, and what transitions look like for some students. Um, and just also keeping in mind that some of these students are coming from hospitalizations um, where they are heavily medicated. Um, so there's a time period that has to happen where you're ha- helping children to either transition to um adjust there's an adjustment period i should say to help children where they may be um experiencing new medication or they may be coming off of medication and transition so there's an right. adjustment period that has to happen where some kids won't be able to attend school right away um so we have to okay. account for that um
0: so those are some things we should you know parents should absolutely. Really be aware of if They happen to have a student that is being serviced in a psych uh, residential treatment facility is that the education looks different. It's not sitting in a classroom like a traditional student from eight to three. Education for these students can occur at any point of Mm -hmm. the day because of. The behavioral supports that are being exactly received.
1: but in these facilities they do try to have a set schedule for school time so that you know uh, the children can have a sense of normalcy and still have structure um so they do have designated times where kids are supposed to be in school and they have, you know, stick to those schedules so that they, they can have a semblance of normalcy based on what they used to have in their classrooms. So for that, I always tell parents, when I have the opportunity to talk to parents, um, when children first enter the services, into uh, the facilities, I let them know that um, your child's education is still a priority wrapped in the behavior process. So it does not right. look like your public school classroom or education. And many times working with advocates that come in, they rarely have worked with children that are in these settings. Many of the advocates have oh no, only, not at, not yes, at all. So they, they only <laughs> have uh worked in the public school setting. So it's very different for them as well um they come yeah. in with the notion i have memorized uh the north carolina guide for exceptional children's support i know it from top to bottom but what they forget right. that <laughs> this the psychiatric residential treatment facilities we have a whole separate book that they forget yes, about and it's like a, and, it's, and oftentimes <laughs> it's so hard for them to understand uh, we know this because we've worked in a public school setting but that's not that's not how it works here. Let me introduce you to right. our guidelines that have been brought forth by the state. And so when they figure out like right. and, and this goes for um, our um, advocates that are lawyers, um, you know, state appointed advocates, and many of them by the time we get finished and you know showing everything, we're like, oh my god, didn't even know this existed. Like right. assume that right. because it's special education, it's just the same thing the umbrella and they right. not understand that there's a subset of uh guidelines that have to happen so in those subset it does not um water down you know the expectations of meeting the kids' needs but it does it gives leeway for the behavioral uh Challenges to be the primary focus so that you can stabilize a child and then be able to start working with them in the capacity of really being able to meet their needs um, educationally.
0: And that's one reason that I say all education, yeah, special education. And I consider myself mm-hmm. a trapped behaviorist because I believe in meeting I students where they are, where the families feel trapped yeah. and then we move forward absolutely. together. So, what do you think you can help parents understand about? Or what would you want them to know before they feel as though, you know, their student needs an advocate in this setting just because they really don't understand yeah. the dynamics? And I think that's where that comes from when they start reaching out for, you know, I, advocates, Absolutely. Have don't get me wrong. I've had to go in as an advocate before, so I definitely understand the role, the place of advocates, but I will want, you know, what should we help parents to understand before they mm-hmm. seek that out? when dealing with a student being in another uh, placement, a different placement? Yeah, so the first thing I always want parents to know
1: is um, these tre- these facilities, first do your research. Always know where your child is going and know about the um, facility itself. Um, the more the more informed you are about the facility that your child will potentially have to uh, receive services, the better understanding you have of their uh, the dynamics of what your child will receive and um, how it will be worked for them. Secondly, parents, guardians, advocates—they are a key component. You are a you are the star player in your child's team. So please don't ever feel mm-hmm. as though, and this just goes for parents period when they go into um, IEP meetings and things. And, you know, you are the star player because you were your child's first teacher. You mm-hmm. can never replace that. Yes. So your input and your insight is vital to your child's success. So go in with the mindset that you are here seeking to learn how these people will support my child and give the techniques that I need. Um, and my child needs to be successful. And I always say for parents or the advocates, try to engage fully uh, in this process because many times these, uh, facilities have what's called wraparound services where they also have a family component as well. We have family therapy. Mm -hmm. We also have, uh, A family advocate, I know in particular, um, the one of the facilities that I work with here, Thompson Child and Family Focus, which is a phenomenal uh, community organization that has served uh, the Mecklenburg County area for years. Um, They have uh, even life coaches in to support parents, to help them with the transition because it's hard, you know? Children already don't come with a manual, And as my mom told me, you are the greatest gift that did not come with a receipt. So you have to know that (laughs) everything, you want to really be open to receiving all of the support that's given and know that no one's judging you. Even if you have had a tumultuous past that, unfortunately, your child had to live through as well, you know, you can make it over. But don't be afraid or don't be embarrassed to the point where you disengage and it's just I'm dropping a child off and let them deal with it. And I can speak, I know that that reigns for uh, people in every level of education. You know, we want our parent involvement to be as high as possible. Um, Thirdly, making sure that they understand, if they have questions, ask them. You will be surprised at how many Mm -hmm. parents will say, well, y'all are the experts, so... I just, I just let you do what you're supposed to do, but we're experts in understanding our field and our craft and how to work with it. But we need your expertise with how to work with your child. You know, what are your child triggers? What has happened? That's provided, you know, what services have been provided in the past or what things have happened that we don't know about that could serve as leverage to help your child. Um, is your child close to a, staff, a family member? Did your child have close relationships with other um, past staff members? You know, how did they handle transitions or periods where, you you know, we've had kids that have been removed from homes. We have kids that have parents that have had, you know, termination of parental rights. Um, and just understanding, you know, even speaking with social workers that have been assigned to children for three and four years, um, just getting that insight and just letting letting folks No, every situation is an individual situation. Don't fall victim to, you know, this is just another child coming into a facility or my child is just a number. Your child is not just a number. Your child is here. And that's why I would say you're the star player of of your child's team. So that's one way that they can do that. And then um, if they feel like they are not, um, If they feel as though their child is not progressing, they can always request new meetings to really sit down and talk about new advantages, new things that they can do, Um, and even ask for recommendations on uh, additional support services that they probably could um, seek. with while the child is already in the uh, facility or as a child uh, prepares to transition out, you know, talk about, you know, what does aftercare look like? How do we, if, you know, we've had many Mm -hmm. children that come into the facility and do so well. And then what happens they're released and it's just all gone. And we may have kids that come right back or at times, because once they leave, there's a waiting list, for a bed every single cottage is full and when one leaves within 48 hours another child is being admitted so we want to make sure that when children are leaving facilities such as this that the child is prepared but the family's prepared to if a child is stepping back into the home setting Um, typically when children leave our setting which is um the most restrictive setting um, in in terms of services that a child will ever receive in the state of North Carolina, they usually do a step down into a therapeutics uh, group home Um, and then, or or another therapeutic group setting so that they will be able to eventually make their way back into the home setting. So we do have situations where that is just not how it happens. And some kids go straight home um, and it just depends on what their needs are. You know, you may have some children that, I know we've had children that were placed there by court order based on the home life situation. And it was just a way to get the child some consistency and normalcy where, you know, you're looking like, why, why? oh, you're, well, hello then, you know. And uh, you have good kids that come through and they're just saying, you know, I just watched my cousin murder my father and I had to be a part of this investigation. And, you know, so it's very, it's a sober reminder that these kids have experienced way more than many of us will ever see or ever know. And so when they come in, you have to be ready to help, you um, you have to be very empath- uh, apathetic to the situation and, you know, really uh, lead with love to help help them prepare themselves to go back to uh, either a new setting, new family, um, being adopted. That's also one, one aspect of it that you have to look at, too. So um, there are so many moving pieces, but for parents that have children that are going into these settings, I want them to know that these settings are not a life sentence. Uh, it's not a mark against them. It's just that this is what your child requires to be successful. And you right. have to look long term. What is it that I want my child to be able to do when they reach age 18, 21, 25? Um, and if you have Absolutely. to have that, that type of forward thinking so that you know. You know, especially when they're 8, 9, and 10, you know? So when you have those mm-hmm. thoughts in mind, you want to always be proactive in your measures and how you're trying to plan for your child's future. And also understand that, you know, progression is not linear. So there, there, right. there are ups and downs. Right. And just because a child has, you know has a period where they fall back into um, crisis doesn't mean they have to stay there. Just like us, we may have a bad day, but we shouldn't be penalized for having exactly. a bad day. You know, So for children, Absolutely. they shouldn't be penalized because they have these outbursts and behaviors that happen. This is something that they didn't ask for. You know, and so just keeping those pieces in mind will help parents and help the teams that serve them um, to better understand how they can continuously plan for success for their
0: child. I love it. You have shared some wonderful information, and I know <laughs> oh, we yes. can go down a rabbit hole <laughs> along with, with all of this stuff. But I want to make sure that anyone who's listening in the village is able to reach you, should they want to continue the conversation or want some support. How can absolutely? They so my you? website is Wingard Consulting Services. Uh, I'm sorry,
1: WingardConsulting.com, um, and so I can be reached. Uh, at that website, you can go and click on info at WingardConsulting.com, um, and that'll lead you to contact information, send an email, uh, and we can reach back out. I love having these conversations. My goal uh, with starting these, this business after having years of served in public school setting, then transition um the nonprofit educational setting, I wanted to come back and be able to support um Schools and children's and eventually children and eventually families. Um, with my expertise by being immersed in this process. So I want to really be able to get out and speak to others and really just talk to folks and help them kind of understand how this process navigates. Um, even though most of my work is on the school side, I, I love having conversations with families just to make sure that they understand that, you know, if they have a question about how they, their voices can be heard um, or what they should do, I, I'm all ears to have a
0: conversation. So thank you. I love it families, be sure to reach out to her if you need any support, have any questions. As always, you can also contact me for any questions. She and I will be working hand in hand. I just put it out there into the atmosphere because we're going to get this work for you all. Um, Also, families, remember, no is not forever. No just means right now. And as Ms. Tamika said, it's just a moment. Even if you have a bad moment, remember it's just a moment, not a bad day. Feel free to, you know, Thank you guys so much for being with us today, and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Professor Whitney and the Village podcast. I hope that something I said is able to help you move forward in the week. If you have any questions, feel free to find me on Instagram at official underscore Leaf Village or on Facebook at Leaf Behavior Support. Have a wonderful week, and I'll see you next time. McKinley and JoJo, mommy loves you.